0: If you're looking for great Christian content, we want to encourage you to check out peachtreepress.org. Peachtree Press LLC offers digital products, journals, books, Bible study guides, sermon outlines, Christian blogs, and church notebooks for children and adults. Some products are also available as print on demand. Peachtree Press is a sponsor of this program and a partner in offering authentic Christian content. For more information, check out peachtreepress.org. Welcome back, rappers, to our fourth season of the Ray Reynolds Rap Podcast. If you haven't already done it, please hit that subscribe button or follow us for content on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and YouTube. Also check out our website at com for sermons, weekly blogs, books, study guides, and lots of free stuff. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you enjoy today's program. All right, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Matthew chapter 6. That's where we're going to be tonight. Matthew chapter 6, and we're going to start around verse 5. Last Sunday evening, uh, we started our our next little, I say series, it's really just about four lessons on on prayer. And we're specifically going to focus on the prayer life of Jesus and some of the things we can learn from how he prayed, where he prayed, and what he prayed. And so tonight we begin with that model prayer in Matthew chapter 6 at a ball game one time, and I can't remember where we were, and uh, the the kids all came out to the center to do their prayer. And as they did, the team that we were there playing against uh, used this prayer as the beginning part of their prayer. Kind of su- surprised me a little bit. It surprised me, first of all, that the coach said started it, and they all joined in. And the other one is that you've got a group of Uh, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18-year-olds that have memorized this particular prayer. And you probably know people who have memorized this prayer. Maybe you have memorized this prayer. And you often see it uh, written in places and little figurines and uh, things that you'll put on your wall. Uh, I've seen it in patchwork. And so it's a very familiar prayer to us. But what does it mean and why did Jesus pray it is kind of what we're going with tonight And in order to do this, I want to share with you just some principles of prayer and the reason why Jesus uses these particular things. Now, I want us to start by asking the question, why would Jesus pray this way in the presence of these individuals? What's the purpose of it? Well, if you'll notice here in these first few verses, he is going to share with them that he saw a uh, very disparaging thing among the Pharisees. The Pharisees and the Sadducees and the other religious elite began to pray such patterned, repetitive prayers in order to be seen in the presence of others. And that is part of this. So before we immediately say this model prayer, the Lord's Prayer, is meant to be memorized and stated word for word, that's actually the opposite of what Jesus is teaching here. So Jesus is just simply giving an example of how to better pray and he does that by starting, as we would, with uh, the beginning, talking to God. And he addresses the Father there in the first verse. But I want you to notice here, back up to verse 5, he says, When you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites. It says, For they love standing in the synagogues and on the street corners, or the corners of the streets, that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you pray, go into your room. And when you have shut your door, pray to your father who is in the secret place, and your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathens do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them, for your father knows the things you have need of before you ask him. That's the key to understanding the model prayer that is spoken here in verses 9 through 13. He says, I want you to remember here are some things you can say, the things that you, and it's totally different from what they've heard, but I make it clear to you again, not to be harsh or critical, but Jesus says specifically, don't make this a vain repetition. Don't make it something that you quote it verbatim all the time, because that's what the Pharisees were doing. Instead, he's saying, I want you to take a moment and in your quiet place, in your stillness, pause and talk to God. And he gives this prayer as an example. It's not meant to be a one-all be-all, pray this and, and nothing else. The, each of these things are talking about the principles to pray about, pray for. So that's how he starts. Don't be like the Pharisees. When he begins to talk about prayer itself, it's something that he was already doing. It's really hard to teach people about prayer if you don't pray. It's really hard for people to believe you when you say you're gonna pray for them if they never see you close your eyes or bow your head. So prayer is something that is done many times in secret, but also we'll talk about public prayer tonight. But it's done in secret, it's done with your specific prayer list, it's got your needs in mind, and it is between you and your Father in heaven. Uh, I had a, a professor one time in school and he heard it from one of his professors, I don't remember where it comes from, Usually, it either goes to in Woods, Gus Nichols, or uh, Marshall Keeble. One of those three. Or T.B. Lairmore, okay? But whoever it was said something like this. If you're struggling with your prayer life, get caught up at home. You know, not in the assembly. Because sometimes people will pray for a long time, and that's exactly what Jesus is saying. Don't do that. Don't, don't get up and talk in these big words and make it so, you know, such a profound experience that people forget the prayer and think about the person, uh, in order to illustrate this, and I will not do this today, but when I taught this at Snook, I got up on the tables in the cafeteria and spoke to the crowd. And of course, they were like, oh, you know, and I said, this is what some people do. They want to be seen. And, uh, and this happens every Saturday around noon down here at the, at the four-way. And I have been known to on occasion, write down Matthew 6 and verse 5 and hand it to them out the window. Because it says, don't do this, right? Don't stand on the street corners and shout out at people. So uh, Jesus is saying, instead of seeing these examples before you, I'm going to pattern an example of prayer in your presence. I don't have any record here, and I do not see, even in Luke's account in Luke 11, where he bows his head to pray this prayer. I, I don't see where Jesus gets down on his knees like he does in other occasions where he goes and prays like in the garden I don't see that. Instead, he is teaching a lesson. We don't call this the prayer on the mount. We call this the sermon on the mount. And so Jesus is preaching a lesson about what it means to be a child of God within the kingdom of God. And here are some ideas that can help us in our prayer life. So the power of prayer is knowing who to talk to. And knowing that prayer is less about you and more about the throne room. It's more about knowing that I bring my, my feeble, insignificant request. Sometimes it is insignificant. I think that it's a big deal, but it may not be that big of a deal. But I want to take every request to God. I've had times with my kids, you know, and, and they'll come up and they'll, they'll tag on, you know, pull on your pant leg, I need you right now. I need you right now. You know, it's like, oh no, what do we do? You know, it's an emergency. Okay, what's the Emergency. Well, I flushed a flashlight. Well, you know, reach down in there, pull it out, wash your hands very, very good afterwards. But sometimes our kids have these little emergencies that they think it's the end of the world. So the power lies not in my ability to pray any specific thing. i don't I don't have to have a patterned structure by which I pray because if I did, that would put the power in my hands. So instead, we turn the power, in the direction of where it is. You know, you think the vacuum is pretty cool, right? You now, my dog doesn't like the vacuum, but you plug that vacuum in, if I were to bring one in here and plug it into that power outlet, well, it'd just run all over in here. I'm sure Joe wouldn't mind me do that, would he, Tyler? Come on, let's get started tonight. Let's get to vacuuming up the thing. But the power is not in the vacuum. And the power is not in the cord. The power is in the power source. And so when our prayers are heard and answered We should not try to take the credit for the power for anything that is answered It is God alone who deserves that credit because he is the power source That we're plugging into and I want you to think of prayer like that as in you're plugging in to the power source of God He deserves all glory honor and praise and so God how would you want us to pray? Jesus says let me lay it out for you. Here are some things to think about first of all the passion of prayer is seen in the first verse. It says, in this manner, pray. People worry about what to say to God. They worry about what order to say those things to God. Uh, what if I What if I forget somebody's name in the middle of prayer? What if I, I'm praying and I say, I want to please be with, and I've had that happen before, even in a hospital bed, somebody in a hospital bed, and I'm standing there over them, and I just... Pause, and I'm like, "Be with this brother in Christ or sister in Christ," because I just have a, a momentary lapse where I just forget that person's name. Does that mean God goes, "Uh-uh, no, 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 no. What's the name, Ray? What's the name? Sorry, not hearing it today. Well, no, we have a loving God who completely understands. So the first thing about this prayer, besides the the power of being plugged into the right source, is the passion to do it. People who are strong in their spiritual walk. You find, you find me somebody that is a strong Christian, and I will find you someone who is passionate about prayer. I will, find, I will show you somebody who absolutely spends quality time in the presence of the Father. And it doesn't matter what the posture is. That's not going to be one of the things we'll notice here just yet. But this is just me talking to my Father, Me talking to our creator about things that are on my heart. So the passion is in the avenue of prayer. I can't help but talk to God about this. I need to get on my knees. I need to spend time in his presence. The next P in this is the person of prayer. Who is the prayer directed to? It says our Father who art in heaven. Well, that tells me a couple of things. One is it tells me that ultimately I need to talk to God about it. And the second thing is I remember where I'm praying to. I'm praying when we pray to our heavenly father. We know that God is all around us. We understand that he is everywhere. But there is a mention in Jesus' prayer about thinking about our heavenly father, the creator of the universe, the God of gods, the king of kings, the lord of lords. And when we pray to God, we think about who we're praying to. You may have some religious friends. I know I do. They put little things on, on little shelves, and they'll put stuff out in front of their house, you know. And they'll and they'll 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 pray to those particular objects. But that's not what Jesus is saying. He's saying talk to your father. And and sometimes you know things funny things will happen while we're praying, uh, maybe at the dinner table or something like that. But we have to keep in mind, like you said, who we're talking to. Pause. Get your composure. Talk to your father in heaven. And No. No. And I I use the illustration quite frequently that I was in a prayer meeting one time with a bunch of preachers and uh, I was next after this guy and he was very well lettered. I don't know how many degrees he had, but letters I don't even know what they spell. And when he got ready to pray, he's like, Lord, our sins are like filthy rocks that descend from the waterfall and in its descent begin to be cleansed by your precious blood and the grace that you've given. And as we roll across the riverbed and I'm just like, what? Like, where are you coming up with all these metaphors? I actually, when he finished, paused a moment. I didn't know if he had a thesaurus he could share with me. You know, I'd, you got a book of dictionary terms there or something? But I, I just was overwhelmed and I felt in that moment like he was better at this than me. You ever felt that way? You hear people pray in worship and you almost have a jealousy, an envy because you you can hear, I can tell, I'm sure you can too, when somebody prays and they get emotional or they 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 get choked up over a word or two, their their heart is truly in it. That's that's different. That's very different from other types of prayers. And so we look at it, we go, man, I want to pray like that. I want to, and I was, I was a little frustrated, but also a little jealous uh, of him because I thought I don't, maybe I don't have as good of a relationship with God that I don't talk to him in metaphorical terms or King James language, but that's not what God is looking for. He's, he's all about the relationship with us and not all the fancy terms. And I know uh, he's my neighbor. We have, we own a lot between us too. And um, whenever I walk the dog or I'm outside, he is almost always on that porch swing. Now, he and his wife sit on that porch swing a lot. And now he sits there alone. But he has his head bowed, slowly rocking on that porch swing. And I I've, I've, I've thought, what is he thinking of? What is he, what is he, t- what is he doing? And you know he's got to be praying for hours, sitting there praying. I, 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 I really admire men that, that pray like that. Um, I remember once upon a time I was at a congregation and a man invited me back to his home and um, he said we're, we, there was something going on at church we needed to pray about and when we got to the the living room, there was a picture glass window, and there were two like inserted I thought he had brought me to his place of prayer and it was it was extremely humbling to me and I told him i said mark i, I what we've done here is, most, that's the most beneficial thing a shepherd has ever done in my presence. To watch an elder who I've prayed with in meetings before, and I've heard him pray in church and lead on the table. But for you to say, we're going to go back to my place, and we're going to pray where I pray. And I thought, that, that was very moving. And I knew then that he, he he's done this a lot. You know, those, the carpet there has little marks where his knees have been. You know, and I just think, he's an older man getting down on his knees and praying He wanted to have a talk with the Lord. And uh, all of us should strive to have such a tremendous relationship with God that when we leave this earth, there is not a shred of doubt. There is not a question as to where we're going to spend eternity because we have such a strong faith and such a strong uh, belief in prayer. So the person of prayer. We're going to keep with the Ps, okay? All right, so next up let's talk about the purpose of it. What are we going to pray about? Jesus says there are some specific things we can pray about in our prayer. And verse 10 says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now two words there, capital Y, telling us pronouns reference to God, to the one we're praying to, to our heavenly father. It says your kingdom and your will. Now, if we've read through the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew's going to point out in chapter 16 that Jesus, through his words to Peter, is that he's going to build his church. And he talks about the gates of Hades, or hell, cannot prevail against it. And that he's going to give Peter the keys to what? The kingdom. And so as he says to Peter, I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom, those keys are meant to unlock a door. That takes place in Acts chapter 2. When Peter begins to preach on the day of Pentecost, and about 3,000 people respond and are baptized into Christ, and the church has its beginning. The foundation, the roots are there, and the church begins in Acts chapter 2. And so there's no doubt in my mind, when he talks about the kingdom coming for these three and a half years of his ministry, he's encouraging his disciples, pray pray for the kingdom to come. Pray for the church to be established. And by Acts 2, that happened. So when we look at this prayer, it's pretty clear, pretty evident to me that there's no need to make this a repetitious model prayer because part of it's already been fulfilled. Uh, It would be like praying to God that Jesus comes again. Well, he's already come. We're praying for him to come again, you know, but you know what I mean, for, for Jesus to come, for the Messiah to come. We know it's already happened. And so this part is fulfilled. Now, some might say, well, is it the kingdom overarching, you know, the whole world? Is it everything God's kingdom? Is it yes, and I understand what you're saying. But the whole context of the Sermon on the Mount is how to live in the kingdom, in the church. This is the constitution of the church. This is the these three chapters are the bedrock foundation by which the church was built. These are the basic teachings from the Beatitudes to the wise man who builds his house on a rock. These three chapters are the core of the ministry of Jesus and his disciples. And he will spend the rest of his life showing this by his example. He did both do and teach these things. And so the kingdom that's coming is the church. Now, if if somebody says the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of heaven's Heaven's already there, right? Heaven exists. It's not like suddenly it's going to come into fruition on the day Jesus comes back. Heaven is already open, okay? So when we pray, if we're praying for the kingdom of heaven to open, uh, that didn't really make a lot of sense either. So that's one reason why in this prayer I can tell you it was meant for that target audience. Then he says, for your will to be done. Well, that's another part of prayer that is partially fulfilled when Jesus prays these same words— in Matthew in chapter 26 and seven. When we begin to see him coming out of the feast and being able to enjoy the Passover meal with his disciples, he then goes into that prayer in the garden where he prays for the will of God to be done. Well, what was the will of God for him to die on the cross? What was the purpose of dying on the cross? Was to raise again on the third day. And then it is upon his resurrection and then finally his ascension that they began to build the foundation stones to grow the church in Acts chapter 2. So it all comes in to Jesus' vision for these disciples and for these people that are present during his sermon. So this, this part is meant for that target audience. Now, we still pray for the will of God, don't we? James says that. He says pray for the will of God, pray in the will of God. So we pray if it's God's will, let it be done. But uh, again, this little section can really be targeted at the Apostles. That's right, we still do pray for the kingdom. Yeah, We still pray for the kingdom every day. We pray for the church, hopefully every day. What about verse 11? Give us this day our daily bread. I quite frequently would point out to people when I was younger, Jesus didn't say pray for the vegetables. Y'all alive? You with me? Jesus didn't say pray for the veggies or for the meat. He said daily bread. So does that mean Jesus is only saying, bless the bread? No. The phrase here used, give us our daily bread, means our daily provisions. The things that we are given are necessities to be able to eat. And he will later say in this same sermon that there are birds who get in the fields and find the things they need to survive, and God provides for them. So don't you think God could provide for you? That's a direct reference to this prayer. Praying for our daily provisions. God provides. That's the provision of prayer. I'm asking God to bless me with food. This also tells me that this is the type of prayer we would say in the early morning. Because unless you're a midnight eater and you went to bed at 10, praying for your daily bread starts early in the morning. I'm praying today for my food. So a great way to start your day, Jesus tells his disciples, is to pray for daily provision, for food to be provided, And he says this day, again, in the morning, God, I'm praying today, I'll have my daily necessities. And uh, of course, my mind goes to Philippians 4.19, where it says that oh, my God shall supply all his ne- your needs according to his riches. That's the provision in prayer. All right. Then there's the pardon of prayer, the forgiveness aspect. Look at verse 12. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Who's the person who determines whether or not you're forgiven? Well, ultimately, the blood of Jesus Christ. But Jesus is now placing within your hands the ability to decide whether or not you're forgiven. He also, chapter 7, will say he's going to place in your hands the ability to decide whether or not you're judged harshly. It takes the emphasis off of a group or off of an elite group of individuals and says it is completely in your hands. If you want to be forgiven, you got to forgive other people. And that's as simple of a teaching as possible, but it is extremely hard to practice. We probably have had people we've interacted with in life that do not deserve forgiveness, and they probably don't. I'll guarantee you we probably all have somebody in our life That does not deserve forgiveness, no matter what. I mean, they don't, it doesn't matter whether they even say they're sorry. They probably do not deserve forgiveness, but neither do we, because we're all sinners. And by categorizing my debts over here and categorizing your massive debt over here, I'm placing myself a little closer to God and you a little further away because my debts, I can handle my business. I'm more interested in your business. And that's why Jesus says, you're gonna to have to remove that giant two by four. Remember he's a carpenter, right? Jesus is saying, move that two by four, that big stick out of your eye, before you can start judging or criticizing or looking at what someone else is doing. Instead, when you're looking at that speck, that speck, it's hard to see, because you got a giant piece of lumber in your eye. So Jesus says, if you want to be forgiven, you have to forgive other people. Now, this is one of the few things that he's going to spend a great deal of time on in the next few chapters, but he says if you want to be forgiven, forgive others. Forgive others. Maybe this is asking God for the strength to forgive our debtors, because it is hard to forgive someone else when they have uh, a debt owed to us, they have done something uh, harmful. To us, they've said something harmful about us. We say, They I need to be forgiven, and so do they. We kind of put our, all, all of ourselves in the same boat. And this is one of the unique things Jesus does in his ministry is he's the savior of the world. He's the Son of the living God. He is He is God incarnate, God in flesh, God dwelling among his people. And yet, instead of choosing a lavish lifestyle, Jesus could have lived in the most posh, beautiful place in the world. He could have dwelled in temples. He could have worn the nicest crowns. He could have worn the, 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 the best clothing. But he slept on the ground and he ate with the poor people. He chose to humble himself so he could show his, his disciples, if you want to do ministry, ministry real-life ministry isn't done in the pulpit. Preaching and teaching Edifying the church, encouraging us to get out and do work. Real ministry is not done in the synagogue. It's not done in the Sanhedrin. It's not done in the temple. Ministry is done on the streets. So Jesus is showing his disciples, these are things we need to do. Now, how are we going to do this? We're going to go out and live it so that everybody can see it. Oh, you got a deal? Oh, What about Jesus' view on on poverty and treasures, and what about his view on money? Well, he's pretty clear that you live with what you got, you act your wage, and you share everything you can. So Jesus lives as a fox, or less than a fox, really, because they've got dens. He says, I'm going to live... On the ground. He ate with the poor. He, he was at the, the hospitals, if you will, for the lepers. He was out on the leper colonies. With them, he would touch them. He, he entertained children. He, he, he dealt with Gentiles on occasion. He was loving and compassionate regardless of how old they were, whether they were male or female, what nation they came from, what language they spoke, what color of their skin that they had. None of that mattered. To Christ, ministry Is in the streets and that's why he tells his disciples you've left a lot for me but you're gonna gain much more and that really has to do with the loss of some of them their physical families because they didn't understand why they'd live that way but they were gaining a spiritual family the church and so he's going to live it he's not just gonna teach it he gives these basic teachings but he spends the next three plus years living this out in the presence of others and that's one of the reasons why so many people were drawn to Jesus it's also the reason why so many people should still be drawn to Jesus, that his disciples do the same thing that he did then, now. If he did it that way then, it'll still work today. Jesus was a people person. You want to see the kingdom grow? You want to pray for the kingdom to grow and the will of God to be done? You act like Jesus wherever you go. You, you say the things that Jesus said. You do the things that Jesus did. You preach the kingdom as Jesus did and that he is coming again. And we have a second chance at life right now today. You can have a better tomorrow than you had today. Right now, you can make that decision. Until Jesus comes, you have that. Uh, And so, again, pray for your forgiveness and also pray for your heart that you can forgive other people. All right, let's look at the next verse. Yeah, go ahead. Right. And I think part of that, we may chase a little fat rabbit here, but thank you. (laughs) I'm going to blame it on James. It's exactly right in that sometimes we will give lip service, we will say to people, we forgive you, but we don't always truly forgive. And the reason why is because we've left, we've lived on this planet for so long that we know that some people, especially people that we have these encounters with regularly, they're going to mess up again. They're going to mess up again. They're going to do the same dumb stuff that they did in the first place. You know, they're going to go back out, and they're going to do some of the same things. Maybe not the exact same thing, but we automatically place a judgment on that person because we know their past behavior. Well, you know what? So does God. And God knows our past behavior. But he's willing to forgive us and give us a second chance every single second, third, fourth, fifth. Some of us are on our once chance, right? Huh? Or more. Yeah, more than that. And so if I really want to be forgiven, I have to believe Use wisdom, but believe that that person, when they say they're sorry, they mean it. And when they say they're not going to do it again, we say, okay. Right. 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 And it is hard, too, because if somebody's hurt us, we might still have the scars. You know, I I think probably the best example is Paul, who (laughs) preached in cities I don't know that Paul walked around with his shirt off, but I know that Paul frequently referenced his scars, and he preached about his scars, and he wrote about his scars, and those scars that were placed on his back, the beatings that he received, he frequently mentioned as a reference to what had happened to him for preaching the gospel. But what happens when he encounters those guys who held the whips and the cords, you know? I don't think it's ironic that Jesus preaches this and on the cross, when he sees those who have beaten him and accused him falsely, by the way, have mocked him and beat him in front of his own mama, trashed him, tore his clothes from his body, decided to cast lots for his coat, wrote things all over that cross, hurled all kinds of insults, and bled him dry that Jesus would say, Father, forgive, forgive. Because they don't know what they're doing. Sometimes people that hurt us, they don't know how much damage they're doing. They really don't. Um, they may have had a situation in their life where they've gone through some heartache and, and some, maybe they've had a bad day and they're just taking it out on you. So forgive if you want to be forgiven. We could spend weeks on this topic. Um, It's certainly necessary today to learn how to forgive. All right, let's look at verse 13. He goes on to talk about the protection that's offered when he says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. The the idea here that he's placing uh, is what he just experienced in chapter 4. Remember in chapter 3, everybody's happy. John the baptizer's at the Jordan, where they have a lot of water. They're coming down. He's baptizing this person. He's baptizing that person. And the people that he's winning, uh, the people that he is bringing out of the world to get rid and repent of all the past things they were doing, are are some of the worst of society. This is like a revival. It is the greatest revival they had seen for over 400 years. And and John's down there baptizing and baptizing and baptizing. Jesus comes down to the water. And John says to those around, this is found in John chapter 1, he says, behold, the Lamb of God takes away the sins of the world. And Jesus makes his way into the water where he's baptizing, and John says to him, what? I'm not worthy. I can't even tie your sandals. You, You shouldn't be coming to me. I should be baptized by you. And Jesus says, this needs to be done to fulfill All righteousness, and after he is taken out of the water and brought up, which is his ceremonial cleansing, his priestly cleansing to begin his work as uh, we would say as preparing himself for high priest role, all these things that take place, when he comes up out of that water, after John declaring to people he's the, the Lamb of God, a voice speaks from heaven. The Holy Spirit descends like a dove. This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. Hear him. This is my, this is my Son. This is, this is the Son of God. This is Jesus. This is the Messiah. Wow! And Jesus immediately went out into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. That's the very next sentence. He's been on a spiritual high here. He spends 40 days to be tempted by the devil in the wilderness. So Jesus in his prayer says... We need to ask God for protection. We pray, don't lead us into temptation. What does the term lead mean? Anybody have a dog? I haven't seen anybody train a cat to a leash, so I'm going to stick with dogs. Okay, If you have a dog on a leash, you have to train that dog with a leash. Uh, We have one, uh, she's actually, she can go off leash, she's got a little uh, thing, it's like a TENS unit, so it kind of, it it alerts her, it doesn't hurt, it just alerts her, and so she'll stop and look and see what the direction is, and so we've tried to teach her to heal, and it's very difficult with a leash, it's easier off leash, because with the leash, she feels like she can go ahead just a little bit, so you have to heal, 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 until she figures it out, but the term lead us is referencing being brought towards temptation. So why would Jesus say, let's pray to the Father that we're not led into temptation? Who's leading us into temptation? Satan is, or other people, leading us down a road that would cause conflict, would cause heartache, war, if you will. The struggle between the flesh and the spirit is real. And so he's saying, God, don't let us be led into temptation. How do we know that? Well, James says that it's very clear that God doesn't tempt anyone. God's given, if you will, the devil the opportunity to tempt, but he gives us the power to overcome it. So he says, lead us not into temptation and deliver us from the evil one. So when Satan does attack, let us know that we're in the wrong so that we might be able to flee from that temptation. Deliver us from that. Where God through the Psalms talks about he is a, a refuge and a strength and a strong tower. Um, if you've ever seen when it rains, birds will go and hide. I love to be uh, in the hills and the mountains where you'll see birds that'll, that'll make their little cleft in the rock. You know, make their little place where they can run to safety. Uh, critters will go in holes or in the sides of mountains in caves to hide from storms, from weather, from pr- prey, for, or not prey, but for prowlers. And so he says, deliver us from Satan. Don't let him get us, God. Any thoughts on that? I know we're moving quick here at the end. All right, let's go to the last one. Here's that term again, the kingdom. Look at what it says. For yours is the kingdom the power and the glory forever, amen. Uh, Jesus uses similar terms in Matthew 16 when he talks about the kingdom coming. And he says frequently the kingdom will come with power. That's the idea of Acts 2. It's prophesied by Isaiah. It's prophesied by Joel 2, which is what Peter's preaching from on Pentecost. It's, It's Daniel chapter 2. So many places, Micah, other prophets talk about the coming of the kingdom with power, And so this is where the praise belongs. Uh, it, It has been a conflict between some religious groups as to what is put in front of a building or on a sign or on a bulletin or a name tag or a logo of a church. When Christ speaks of his kingdom coming in Matthew chapter 6, he identifies who the kingdom belongs to. When he says, I will build my church, this Christ's church, it is Christ's kingdom that is to come. And so he says, yours is the kingdom, recognizing that the church is of God, of Christ. The church is the kingdom. And then the power and glory that is given is not to the church, but to the Christ of the church, to the father of those that are saved. And then glory... Again, we might say honor is given to God forever. So God deserves the praise. God deserves the honor in prayer. And so as he concludes, of course, he says, amen. We don't want to leave that out. But he says, before you close your prayer, again, honor God with your lips. Now, how did the prayer start? Our Father in heaven. How does it end? Your kingdom come, your will be done. On earth, is it in heaven? And then it says what? That's right, you have the power, you have the honor, you have the glory. So Jesus says when you pray, start with recognizing who God is, and when you conclude, recognize who God is. The, uh, the changes we've gone through over the last 2,000 years culturally is a shock. And in fact, I, I am convinced that I could take 12 people and put them in a time machine back to the time of Christ, drop them off, come back in 30 days, and they'd all be dead. They wouldn't know how to cook. They wouldn't know how to clean. They wouldn't know how to make clothes for themselves. They wouldn't know how to, what can we do without electricity? You know, we, we step out of the time machine. I don't have any bars here, you know? I mean, we, we could not survive. Many of us could not survive off the grid in a place like that. They had, they had things that were done differently. But there are also some customs that they kept In the New Testament church, after Christ taught these things, and one of those is how often, how frequently that they prayed. And in Bible times, people prayed a lot different than us. And I'm not saying uh, that the way you pray is wrong, but I'm just saying there's something about the approach to prayer that they had right. uh, I'm often compelled to think about Moses. When Moses approaches the bush that is burned, but it does not consume with fire. God says something to him. He says, take off your shoes because you're standing on holy ground. I'm not saying you need to take off your shoes when you pray, but I'm saying that images like that should be burned into your memory that you are talking to a God that is holy and deserves all honor, glory, and praise. Don't take it flippantly. Take it seriously. Uh, as serious as you would to meet someone who uh, maybe is a dignitary. To meet a, a leader of the people that you're going to go before. Even greater than that. Think about the holiness that you're approaching. Recognize that while he's hearing your prayer, he's also hearing other prayers too. And so direct your thoughts and your words to the creator and and honor him with your lips. Talk to him, praise him for what he's done. Before you go through your list of, you know, and I think, I know we're guilty of this. I am too. You know, it's late at night. I haven't said my night prayers yet. Melatonin's already kicking in. Y'all with me? And I'm thinking, I got to pray. I got to say our prayer tonight. You know, I'll tell Misty we got to say our prayer and sometimes I'll start, she's asleep before we finish, or sometimes we'll both pray. And I think that sometimes when we get in such a hurry, you know, I'm like, Lord, Lord, by the way, tonight I need you to be with so-and-so, 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 you know, I need you to do this for me, and tomorrow let's have a good day, amen. And I'm in such a rush to get through my requests that I forget that I'm in the presence of the creator of the earth. Now, it's awesome because he wants to have a relationship with us. But also, he deserves he deserves us to think of him with reverence. He, he deserves that. He, he is owed that. He's due that. So when we talk to God, begin by praising him for who he is, praising him for what he's done. And when you conclude, thank him for hearing your prayer. Thank him for allowing Jesus to mediate for you. First Timothy 2, 5, one mediator between God and man that man's Jesus Christ. Thank the God for the Holy Spirit that dwells inside of you that can interpret the prayers when you don't know what to say. Romans eight twenty six and twenty seven. And thank Him for giving you such a an outlet a venue that gives you comfort that reminds you that you're never alone. So that's how Jesus says we should pray, even in an emergency. You know, ER emergency. We pray. He said, here's some things that you can do to pray. Now, next week, we're going to take our thoughts to John 17, so you can go ahead and study that, and we'll see his prayer there in the 17th chapter of John, where he prays a very eloquent prayer about himself and the mission of his disciples, and he prays for you. He prays for you. Your name's not mentioned, but you're on those pages. He prays for the church today. Thank you for tuning in to today's broadcast. Be sure to subscribe and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and YouTube. Also, visit our website at RayReynoldsRap.com. If you'd like to contribute to the show, content suggestions, uh, questions, prayer requests, or even if you just want to reach out to us, you can email us at RayReynoldsRap at gmail.com. Have a great day as you seek to maintain an authentic life in Christ Jesus.